0: you have a Bible, turn to Romans chapter 15, verse 14, the 15th chapter of Romans. We're in a series called Romans Mercy to All, and I'll be reading from the New American Standard Bible. We'll read verses 14 through 21, and you're invited to follow along in your Bible, or you can uh, follow along in the scriptures on the slides behind me. When you found chapter uh, 15 of Romans, verse 14, I'd ask you to stand with me, please, in honor of the reading of God's word. Romans chapter 15, verse 14. The Bible says, And concerning you, my brethren, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able also to admonish one another. But I have written very boldly to you on some points, so as to remind you again, because of the grace that was given me from God, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, Ministering as a priest the gospel of God, so that my offering of the Gentiles may become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, in Christ Jesus, I have found reason for boasting in things pertaining to God. For I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed, in the power of signs and wonders, in the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem, and round about, as far as the Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And thus, I aspired to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named, so that I would not build on another man's foundation, but as it is written, they who had no news of him shall see, and they who have not heard shall understand. Heavenly Father, I pray that as we seek your scriptures more closely that you would guide us in all understanding of what you would have us to know today. Change our hearts and our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. You know, it was about a year ago that I decided to preach through the uh, book of Romans and we're slowly, slowly making it all the way to the end. And there were some reasons that I decided to preach through this book. It's always a challenge for pastors to know exactly what to preach. Do I preach a topical series? Do I preach through a book of the Bible? If it's a book of the Bible, what Bible book should it be? And I decided to preach through the uh, book of Romans because I think that the church at Rome matched our church pretty well. You know, I could have preached through the the book of 1 Corinthians, let's say. Um, but the church at Corinth, I don't think is an accurate reflection of where our church is. The church at Corinth was divided. The church at Corinth was unhealthy. And that's I don't think that's true of us. I think that we share a lot more characteristics with the church at Rome than we do the church at Corinth. I want you to see how Paul describes the church at Rome in verse 14. Pay close attention to what Paul says. He says, And concerning you, my brethren, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are... Full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able also to admonish one another. I think this very verse could have been written of us. I think that as we look at this church, at Broadview Baptist Church, I'd be able to say that I think that we are full of goodness. In other words, morality is one of our strengths. We don't have a lot of rampant, unrepentant immorality going on around here Uh, as a church we seek to do the right thing not only in public but in private and and I think we should be uh, commended in that and so I would agree with Paul is if he was to write this of us I I would say that it would be much the same thing that, that we are full of goodness secondly that we're filled with all knowledge in other words you've been taught the Word of God not just by me but our church has a long history of men of God who proclaimed his word faithfully. We had uh, Pastor Ed and Pastor Eric and Pastor Scott. We had Pastor Truman, Pastor Joe, Pastor Bill, and Pastor Cordell, if you go back far enough, back to 1977. And so God has given us, he's granted us, godly pastors who sought to teach this congregation the word of God. And I think that we are filled with all knowledge. And finally, In verse 14, we're able to admonish one another. You know, should this church ever be in a position where it would be without a pastor to instruct you in the Word of God, you would be able to continue helping one another towards spiritual maturity. It might not be ideal to be without a pastor for a time, but I think that there are enough spiritually mature people here so that you can bless one another. And I think that's one of the wonderful, incredible things about a good, solid Bible-believing church is this, every single one of us here has more to learn, and every single one of us here has more to share with one another, and so we just have to be willing to learn, we have to be willing to share. But even the best and healthiest of churches need to be reminded of God's truths. We need to be reminded of God's truths. And I, and I think that this is something that if we're not careful, we might become complacent. As, as uh, many of us have been walking with the Lord for many years, some of you might say, well, you know, I've been saved for, for a long time. I've, I've been walking with the Lord. I've been taught God's word in Sunday school. I've been taught God's word in and, and preaching and, you know, for decades now and decades. And so I have a pretty good understanding of what God's word might say. And if we're not, if we're not careful, we might become complacent and we might even allow our gathering together with one another to become secondary. And we might decide uh, oh, you know, something else is going on, it's not a big deal if I miss church. Once. And then again, and then again. And whatever it is that that is so important that it would draw us away from the teaching and admonishment and encouragement and the exhortation from God's Word, I can guarantee you that it's probably secondary. It might be tertiary, but it's not primary. It's not primary. In our society, we have numerous Christians who've decided that church is just not that important. If I ever happen to want to know something from God's Word, I've got Google. Well, Google will not bless you. Google will not encourage you when you're down. Google will not celebrate with you when you have a victory, but God's people will. It's important that we value the gathering together of God's people. We need to be reminded of God's truths. I don't care how long you've been a Christian, how much, how many times you've read the Bible through. What, what we need to re- be reminded of is this that when we encounter God's Word through the preaching of God's Word or through the teaching of God's Word, and we encounter the Word of God, it might be brand new to us. The same Scripture that you've read a hundred times, it might be brand new. Why? Because you're now in a different situation in life. Because your circumstances have changed. Something's different now. And that verse, that Scripture, that sermon, that lesson speaks to you now in a way that it never had before simply because you were there. You were willing to listen. And so I would encourage you not to forsake the gathering together of ourselves. Is listening to a sermon the only way you can hear the Word of God? Of course not. But it's a good way. It's a good way. And so even the healthiest of churches, even the healthiest of Christians need to be reminded of God's truths. Look at verses 15 and 16. Paul writes, But I have written very boldly to you on some points, so as to remind you again, because of the grace that was given me from God, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest the gospel of God, so that my offering of the Gentiles may become acceptable, sanctified, by the Holy Spirit. Paul says, I I was very bold to you. Remember, this is a church that he had not yet visited. Let me ask you a question. If you had never visited a church before and you had a message to give them, how bold do you think you would be? I think a lot of us would be somewhat apprehensive. I mean, you don't want to go in there just making enemies. You know, whatever the message might be, we might be a little bit soft and how we deliver the message, or the words that we use. Especially if you didn't already know the audience. You might not feel the freedom to come across as harsh, or the freedom to come across as critical. But Paul says, I can be bold with you. And the reason that Paul could be bold with him had nothing to do with them. It had nothing to do with the audience. It had to do with the one that empowered Paul. It had to do with the one that Paul had encountered the one that commissioned Paul to this ministry, the one that gave him this message. You see, about 20 years before Paul wrote this book that we call the Book of Romans, about 20 years before, Paul, his name uh, in Hebrew was known as Saul. He had left Jerusalem, and he was on his way to Damascus to arrest some followers of Christ. And it was on that trip that a light from heaven flashed around him and Paul encountered Jesus and Jesus told him to go ahead with the help of others and enter Damascus and to wait. And Paul waited and he fasted and he prayed to God for some relief, for some understanding, and he was waiting on God to help him. And a few days later, Jesus then appeared to another man or, or spoke to another man named Ananias and he told Anani- Jesus told Ananias to go and visit Paul and to pray for him. And Jesus said to Ananias these words, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. That was Jesus speaking. And so Paul was commissioned for the rest of his life by none other than Jesus himself. And this was his commission. If you boil it down to its very core. It was to take the good news of Jesus to people who had not yet heard. You know, I think you might be bold And I think I might be bold in giving a message to a church that we had never met if we had been struck blind and we met Jesus personally and our sight was restored and we were commissioned with this very singular message. You see, Paul believed that by obeying what Jesus told him to do 20 years before, he was actually bringing an offering to God. This is his offering. This is his sacrifice to God. What exactly was the offering that Paul was bringing to God? Look again at verse 16. Verse 16 says, tells us what the offering was. So that my offering of the Gentiles may become acceptable. Gentiles are non-Jewish people. Paul's offering to God was Gentiles. People are his offering to God. You might think that sounds strange, but I would say that it's not so strange. If you were to meet a king, it would be customary for you to bring that king a, a gift worthy of his honor. But can you imagine standing before the king of all kings? And if the king of all kings were speaking to you as you appeared before him, and he said to you, what do you have to give me? What would be your response? Oh, here's my watch. Here, here's some Here's some cash. Here's some diamonds. What, what is it you think you would give? The king of all kings. I would say the best gift you can give is people. Parents, listen. When each of our kids were born, Amy and I dedicated those kids to God. Our kids, however the lives turn out, that's our offering to God. Husbands, listen. In Ephesians chapter five, verse twenty five, when husbands are commanded to love their wives, Scripture says why? Scripture says that we are to do so just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory. Husbands, listen. One day, you'll stand before the king of all kings and if he were to ask you What do you offer me? One of your offerings needs to be your wife that you loved. Your wife that you sacrificed yourself for. Your wife that you sanctified, Because you have this life to love her, to give yourself up for her, and to sanctify her so that you might present her as your offering to God. What was Paul's offering to God? It was Gentiles. People who did not yet have Christ because they had not yet been told about Christ. Paul's entire life was spent telling people about Jesus. And if they would believe in Jesus then they would become, verse 16 says, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. You see, God had a plan for Paul. God's plan for Paul was for him to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And Paul is confident that God will carry out that plan. Verse 17, Paul writes, Therefore in Christ Jesus I have found reason for boasting in things pertaining to God. Paul knew that he was being obedient to God's call upon his life. He knew that God had given him success in bringing Gentiles to faith in Christ. Look at verses 18 and 19. Paul writes, For I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed, in the power of signs and wonders, in the power of the Spirit. But Paul took the Gospel to a people group where Christ had not been named. It was glorifying to God. Often God provided signs and wonders when the Gospel was presented to a new people group. God did miracles to those that were healed. You know, in the Bible, every time the word wonders appears, the word signs appears to it. It 16 times in the Bible. The word wonders means... Sort of what you probably think it means. It means a miracle. Something that's contrary to nature. But the word signs, it calls attention to the reason for the miracle. There's a reason God did incredible things. In other words, God doesn't just do miracles, but he does miracles for a reason. And there's no greater reason for a miracle than to convince someone who had never heard about Jesus that Jesus is Lord over all. He's Lord over all. All of creation. In verse 19, Paul talks about the scope of where he's been. He says, so that from Jerusalem and round about as far as Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And so, again, Jesus told Paul to take the gospel to Gentiles who had not yet heard the gospel. And Paul says that he's preached all the way from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum. Let me show you what that means. On the screens behind me, it may be a little bit hard to see, but this is a map of the... uh, eastern part of the Mediterranean Sea and the land that surrounds it. And in order to obey God's call on on his life, Paul went on multiple missionary journeys. The first missionary journey started in Antioch. Antioch is right near the border of modern-day Turkey and Syria. It's actually in Turkey on the Syrian border. And this, this little blue line that you see, this little journey that Paul took, it took him two years. He traveled about 1,235 miles. That little blue squiggly line was over 1,200 miles. That was Paul's first missionary journey. And he took Jesus everywhere he went. And he started churches everywhere he went. Paul's second missionary journey also started in Antioch. And this little green line shows that it lasted for approximately three years. He traveled about 2,700 miles. Miles and all along the way, Paul is taking Jesus Christ with him. He's sharing the gospel, he's starting churches, he is encouraging believers. And then Paul took a third missionary journey. His third missionary journey also started in Antioch. Up to this point, Antioch was his base, Antioch was his home church. Antioch supported his ministry financially, Antioch supported his ministry in prayer. And this missionary journey lasted for about four years. He traveled about 2,500 miles, and he reached the very edge of this area called Illyricum, which is in the northeast part of Macedonia and Greece. And when Paul finally reached the city of Corinth in Greece, he wrote this letter to the church at Rome. And on that map that you see, that's indicated by the red arrow, because Paul didn't make it to Rome. Paul gave the letter to someone, we think it was probably Phoebe, who we'll meet in a couple of weeks in chapter 16. Now the reason I showed you all of this is because Paul is telling the church at Rome, hey, I've preached the gospel everywhere to the east of you. There's nowhere to the east of you that I need to go. And if I were to go back to the east of you, there in Rome, I would be going to an area that already has a witness, a viable witness of Jesus Christ. But my ministry is not over, Paul is saying. My calling is not yet fulfilled. You know, when God calls you to do something, it's not over just because you have some success. It's not over when you're half done. It's only over when God releases you. Or it's only over when God takes you home. Paul knew he wasn't done. He knew what God had called him to do. And so now, if he's not going to be to the east of Rome, you can guess where he wants to go to the west. And ultimately, that's going to mean a new home base to send him out again. Verse 20. Paul writes, And thus I aspired to preach the gospel not where Christ was already named so that I would not build on another man's foundation. You know, we're so blessed to live in a country where Christ has been named. For even people who don't know Christ, who've not heard of Christ, they have the opportunity somehow. Maybe they'll stumble on a Christian radio station. Or they'll come across someone who's a Christian somewhere. And perhaps they might hear the gospel. But if the Great Commission means that we share the good news of Jesus with every people group in the world, that means we need people like Paul who are committed to reaching unreached people groups. You know, we're making incredible progress in this task through the Southern Baptist Convention's international missionaries, through missionaries and other evangelical organizations like Wycliffe Bible Translators. Currently, there are 233 unengaged, unreached people groups with over 500 people in population who still dwell in their ancestral homeland. Only 233. And if God has not called you to go and reach these people who have not yet in 2,000 years ever had the opportunity to hear about Jesus Christ, if God is not calling you to go, then he's calling you, I believe, to support those who do. It's good that we are a solid, moral Church that tries to live according to God's word. God needs or wants or desires. However you want to say it. A witness in northeast Lubbock County. Of people who love him. Who will serve him. And God has called us to this task. It's good that we're that. It's good that we have a history. Of supporting missionary efforts. All around the world. But I'm wondering if we might have some people here who want to see the task finished in their lifetime. I'm wondering if we have some who might want to pray and serve and support those who are truly on the front lines carrying on and finishing the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Verse 21. Paul writes, I didn't go back to people that had already heard, but as it is written, They who had no news of him shall see, and they who have not heard shall understand. This task of taking the gospel to those who have not yet heard, it's not just a calling, a special calling, where the Spirit of God might speak to you to do that, but it's actually a fulfillment of Scripture. You know, when you and I think about Scripture being fulfilled, We think about the promises of God that He's made that haven't come truly yet fulfilled. You know what we normally think about? We think about the second coming of Christ. The promises that Jesus made to come back. We're waiting for that promise and we know He's going to come back because God always keeps His promises. And so we normally think when when we think about Scripture that has yet to be completely fulfilled. We think about the second coming of Christ. A lot of Christians wonder, when will Jesus come back? They wonder, will He come back in my lifetime? Jesus didn't tell us the day or the hour. He didn't tell us the year. But He did tell us when He'll return. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, Jesus said to the question, That was raised by his disciples. Is now when you're going to fulfill your kingdom? Is this the end? Jesus said in Matthew 24, 14. The gospel of the kingdom. Shall be preached in the whole world. As a testimony to all the nations. And then. The end. Shall come. We have unfinished business as Christians. We have not yet taken the gospel to every tribe and every people and every tongue and every nation. But that's our job. We must be about the business of God's business. It's not enough for us as Christians to sort of sit back and to sort of live for Jesus and really, in effect, live for ourselves. Sort of get enough Jesus to sort of bless me and hang around and be sort of Christian-y. And to give God a little bit of lip service here and there. And maybe attend church a little bit. And maybe put a Christian post on Facebook. All of that falls well short of the very heart of Paul. Paul's heart is this. There are people in this world, not only who are going to hell because they refuse Jesus, but there are people in this world who are going to hell because we haven't cared enough to go. And tell them, it hasn't been enough of a priority in our hearts, in our efforts, to finish the task. God is calling us, I believe every single one of us, to be missionaries. It became very popular A few decades ago in the church growth movement, for this little phrase to be true every member is a minister. And I believe that to be true, that every church member ought to be a minister. We ought to serve one another in some capacity. We ought to find our place of service. I find that absolutely true. But I would say that stops short of what Paul's heart is. You see, every member ought to be a missionary, we ought to be on mission. Partnering with God to take the gospel to our world, our oikos, our fellowship, our household, our sphere of influence. And if God has called us even to leave our sphere of influence and to go beyond and to go finish that task, we must respond to that.